folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We are making our way through the book of Revelation. Fascinating stuff on the docket. This time is chapter 4, a vision of a heavenly throne room. A vision, I say, maybe even more than that. John will be told to come up here, and there's kind of a, I don't know, a visionary experience, you might say. There's some sort of experiential dimension to this as well. It's a fascinating chapter. It kind of goes well with uh, chapter 5, but we're just going to focus on 4. Uh, Just a quick recap is what John's initial vision is the Son of Man. Okay, so we have the the intro to Revelation. Revelation as as an apocalypse, a prophecy, a letter, all in one. We have that intro, the the greeting to the reader. Blessed is the one who reads aloud. And then John's initial vision of the Son of Man. Remember, he sees the church first, and then he sees the Son of Man amidst the church in the midst of the church, um, being for the church, the the lifeblood, as it were, the light of the church. And then in 2 and 3, last time we talked about these, uh, the messages to the seven churches, or a sevenfold message to the one church of all times and, and all places, and made the point there that there um, is a means of grace solution to every churchly problem, every church letter there again, is is introduced with some characteristic from the Son of Man. See your situation in light of the person and work of Christ. Whatever it is, see it in light of the person and work of Christ. Now in chapter 4, really 4 and 5, uh, are they're in some way foundational for the rest of the book. This is John's vision of this heavenly throne, throne room, as I mentioned. And I would say, if you forget everything else about this, 4 and 5 is about how the kingdom of heaven draws near even right now in the divine service. Chapters 4 and 5, how the kingdom of heaven draws near even right here, right now in the divine service. I'll say more about that as we go along. Uh, But let's first read the text. So the text of Revelation chapter 4 reads as follows. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them had six wings. 
are full of eyes around, all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Alrighty. So there we have the text of Revelation chapter 4. What a doozy. I guess initial impression is what? We have an emphasis on this throne. Someone, We're in a throne room. There's a throne in heaven. Throne, 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 throne. And then what? We have 24 elders. Kind of cast of characters thing. We have 24 elders. Uh, four living creatures. We've got a lot of back and forth interactions, singing and so on. It's a fascinating little moment here. But first things first, and that is after this, sometimes when John uses the language after this, it signals a new vision, like this a kind of a new segment, as it were, to the book. And uh, that's fine here. We're in kind of a, in some ways, some would say that this is foundational for the rest of the book. This heavenly throne room, four and five, will continue, parts of it, words from it, allusions to it, will continue to happen throughout the book. And so you get the sense that what you do with 4 and 5 is is really going to affect how you understand other chapters in the book. For me, that's, as I mentioned, 4 and 5 give you this picture of heavenly worship, but give you indications that it's already making contact with us right here and now in our worship. And I'll say more about that as we go along. Um, but that's also going to affect the, I bring it up now because that's also going to affect later on in the book, how I'm going to understand the allusions back to this, these chapters four and five, um, that the things happening later on in revelation, especially when they allude to this four and five chapters, four and five will also be grounded in our worship, even right here, right now. Let me show you a little bit about how that works. So John sees what a door opened in heaven which is kind of an amazing thing. First things first, why a door? Especially if it's open, why a door? Why do you need a door at all if it is open, right? A door is for, you know, and why a door in heaven? A door implies what? A structure? I guess first things first. Jesus has said uh, earlier to these churches, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my words, you know, this kind of, and opens. I'll come and make my home with him. There is this kind of language of knocking. I stand at the door and knock. Uh, the chapters 3, for example. Um, hear my voice. I'll come to him and eat with him. Okay, so the last thing we just heard was that I stand at the door and knock. If you open, I'll come with him and eat with him. And then here it's, behold, the door standing open in heaven. And you can't help but hear, okay, the one who is also inviting John to come up here is the one who just said, I stand at the door, and if anyone uh, who hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come with him and dine with him. So there is this, like, fellowship, uh, what, a kind of eating and fellowship that comes to mind as you hear this door. But also a door is a structure, like the tabernacle had a door, the temple had a door, a gate, as it were, 
or gates in the case of the you know the temple and so on. This is kind of all right. So we have this door standing open in heaven. I think the business of a door is to imply some sort of structure. Of course, we'll hear throne and door and uh, the sea or water basins. This is all very liturgical kind of lingo. Okay. So, I mean, one thing, it just doesn't even make sense practically. The door is open. Why do you have a door? Well, will it be shut to some others or, you know, that kind of thing. But I think the bigger point is we are being introduced to a particular edifice here, a particular structure, and it's a liturgical space, environment. A door, and the one who is the door, the one who opens and dines with, is standing at the door. John sees this door opened, and the voice, the first one, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, which makes it clear, like, this is the Son of Man, this is the one that spoke to me in the initial vision, telling me, come up here. All right? And so there is this, there's an open door. We're in this kind of place or structure, heavenly structure. And the door is open, and it's the same one, the Son of Man, who says, come up here. I'll show you what must soon take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, which is exactly how he described his situation in chapter 1 with being in the Lord's day. It was it was the Lord's day, and I was in the Spirit. Well, this is exactly what's happening here, too. John says, immediately, I was in the Spirit, as in, because this Son of Man came to me, opened the door to me, invited me to come up, and showed me, spoke to me what must soon take place, immediately I was in the Spirit. Whenever the Son of Man comes to us, opens the door to us, speaks to us, um, immediately we're in the Spirit, which is exactly what happens in the divine service. That is, the Son of Man is the uh, the risen Christ among us, serving his people. He speaks, again, I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, this same one, um, come up here, I will show you what must take place. When he speaks, there heaven is opened to us, and there we are in the Spirit. And that's the kind of overlap I think John experiences with what the church experiences every divine service. When the Son of Man comes upon us, speaks to us, opens the door of heaven to us in his word, in his sacrament. Uh, and so I see this as a, a kind of twofold work here. On the one, it sounds very heavenly and, oh, good for John. But on the other, it's, wait a minute, this is what happens every Lord's day to us when he speaks and opens the door and so on. Okay. Behold a throne, which was uh, placed, as it were, uh, a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne. Okay, so here we have this indication of there's a throne, which again, we're in this structure, and there's someone seated on the throne. And the language used throughout will just be someone seated on. Now we're implying, we're inferring that this is God the Father. And as we move along, we'll, we have already heard a throne, by the way. We've heard throne already in chapter 1 um, when John has this uh, to the seven churches uh, to the one who was and is and is to come from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ. So you get this kind of Trinitarian, okay, the one on the throne is very likely God the Father. And yet, as we'll see as we go along, before you got to be watching carefully because before too long it's 
oh, the lamb's also on the throne, <laughs> right? Uh, and it's like, wait a minute, how many people are on this throne? I thought just the one seated and then, the, you know, that's that. As it, as the book starts, it is that, but then you have to watch very carefully. John loves to put, for example, the lamb also on the throne along with the one seated on the throne. It's like, hey, how many people are on this throne and so on, okay? But the this is rule. Okay, the throne language also implies what? Ruling. How does God choose to reign right here, right now? And we'll say more about this with chapter 5, but already you get the sense of what he's doing here with this business of heavenly kingdom drawing near in the divine service. This is how he reigns. God reigns in his creation from his throne um, in heavenly worship when he's coming near when his son speaks, when his son, uh, when his spirit will talk about doing work through water, that's how he has chosen to reign among us. Even when you see the six o'clock news being what it is, God reigns right now um, in his word, in his sacrament, this throne business, he is all this emphasis on how he reigns and rules in the midst of midst of what happens and what proceeds from his heavenly throne, the things that we can experience even now. This is how he chooses to reign. He who sat, and let me just tell you a little more how this works. He who sat there had the appearance of literally a stone of jasper and carnelian and a rainbow around his throne as the appearance of um, an emerald. Okay, now what I love about this description is these stones, this stone of jasper and carnelian are the same ones that you'll see on the high priestly vestments, which means that John looks and sees the one seated on the throne dressed like a high priest. It would be no different than saying maybe your church has uh, pastors who wear an alb and a stole, like a picture in white alb and a green stole. I looked and I saw the one sitting there had a white stole or a green stole and a, and a white alb and a, and a cassock and a surplus or something like that. The point there is like he's seeing someone who resembles, wait a minute, this is what I see every time I go to church. I see this kind of, these liturgical vestments, these liturgical garments. The one sitting on the throne looks kind of like our, our pastors and priests right now, John's saying. And that's not coincidental. That's because when the pastor says in the stead and by the command, I forgive you all your sins, that forgiveness, as Luther reminds us, is the same as God himself forgiving us. That is God's forgiveness. Do you believe that the forgiveness that I speak is not mine but God's? Yes, it's God's forgiveness. He's present among us through those who stand in the stead and by his command. They dress like him. They speak like him. They forgive like him. And that rainbow sounds pretty baptismal, doesn't it? A rainbow that had an appearance of an emerald. Um, Again, this rainbow business. We'll see this come up again in chapter 10. The Son of Man brings this rainbow down from heaven. This is very much a Noah's Ark kind of thing. The rainbow is a very baptismal sort of thing. Um, So around the throne is this rainbow. And it sounds like there is this, what, promise of new life, this promise of no destruction, rainbow reality um, all around this one's throne. New life, baptismal, and, and go figure, as we move along, what else is there? Around the throne also, um, 
24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments, golden crowns on their heads. Um, I'm going to say more about this real soon. We're going to take a quick break, but this be thinking about this. Hey, wait, why are all these things white around, right around his throne? The rainbow, the elders, the garments. We're, soon we're going to talk spirit and water. Okay, think about all those things. We're going to tie all that together real soon right after our break. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcast, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. Alrighty there, folks, we are back with our study of Revelation chapter 4. Fascinating scene. We just got this business of the rainbow and 24 thrones. <clears throat> and on those 24 thrones are 24 elders clothed in white, golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. And before the throne burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Great stuff. Think about how much stuff is around this throne. First thing, the rainbow. Second, 24 thrones, 24 elders. Now, elsewhere in the book of Revelation, we get the sense that these elders are, well, 24, I guess, first, what, um, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles on the New Testament side, 12 disciples. So you have like the 24. I take the 24, and they're elders. Why are they called elders and not, you know, angels or whatever else? It sounds like a very pastoral group. It sounds like a very, I think the 24 elders stand for all of the the company of the redeemed. They have a kind of ministerial, I mean, elders, and later on we're going to see 12 apostles, 12 tribes of Israel, this kind of the names on the gate of the New Jerusalem later on. So you get this kind of Old Testament, New Testament, 24. I think they stand for all the redeemed. And uh, in some instances might be especially focusing on the ministry, the office of the ministry, because they are elders, but at the same time they stand for the for all of the redeemed of both testaments, I think. Now think about where they are right around that throne. And they also have thrones around the throne, and they also have crowns. They're clothed in white garments. I think this is all emphasizing this rainbow and this baptismal reality, and that is um, 
these 24 thrones are where the rainbow is. They reign with God in baptism. They're clothed in white in baptism. Hey, wait a minute. That's available to us right now. White garments. I think that's the reason you stress this is something. This is, oh, this is available to us right now. We saw this in chapter 3. I counseled you to get white garments from me. This is something that we can have even right now. So it's no surprise that Paul will say when you're baptized, you're raised with Christ. You're already wearing this garment. This whole heavenly business of Revelation 4, is. it sounds like this is also right here, right now, when someone is baptized. We reign with Christ. We're seated with him. We're on a throne. Um, I think that's what's going on here. And go figure. So golden crowns. And then what, what happens right after that? You'll see what else is right around the throne. Well, seven torches of fire, which, by the way, fire in the, in the tabernacle, in the temple, fire should be kept going all the time, which is churches do this still. They have the eternal candle. They keep it lit. And, you know, this kind of business of the presence of God being specially uh, located in this house, this place of worship, the fire before his throne. This is associated here with the seven spirits of God, or the Holy Spirit. We've already seen this Holy Spirit in, in uh, chapter 1. And go figure, um, what else is there? As it were a sea of glass, clear as crystal, there's water there. John's very careful with the prepositions. So before, the, around the throne is a rainbow, and around the throne, same preposition, for the thrones and elders and white garments and crowns. And then what happens before the throne is the spirit and before the throne is the water. Those two prepositions, enopion in Greek, enopion, he chooses the prepositions very carefully. Before the throne is both the Holy Spirit and the water. Okay, so around the throne, rainbow, those who are reigning with Christ in baptism and before the throne, Holy Spirit and the water bringing that kingdom, bringing that reign to us right here, right now. This is a very liturgical, a very divine service kind of description here for this, this heavenly scene. Beautiful stuff. All right, let's keep moving on. Uh, in the middle of the throne, in between the throne and around the throne, we've got now four uh, living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. I think, so this is the fir- the four, why four? I think a number that represents, um, well, north, south, east, west. It represents the earth. It represents, in this case, I take these living creatures, lion, ox, man, and eagle, I take these as representative of the entire created order. Um, the four, what lion is what king of the of the jungle, right? We've seen Lion King. That's how this works. Um, the ox, kind of the what the top of the domesticated animals. The eagle of all the birds of all the winged creatures, kind of the the eagle. Well, that stands for the United States, doesn't it? No, no, no. Um, the eagle as at the tip top of all that. Um, and then the man, what, chief of the, what, crown jewel of creation, as it were. I think these these four living creatures we're going to see before, this stands, they stand for the whole created order. And I think the eyes in front and behind is this, 
they're all the the eyes of all look to you, O oh Lord, and you give them their food at the proper time. I think everybody is in the entire creator depending looking and watching eyes on their creator never they uh, day and night never cease to say holy 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 is the lord god almighty he was and is and is to come i love this this is the language of isaiah so think when isaiah's in that again he sees a heavenly throne holy 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 but the difference between isaiah is kind of an interesting one holy 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 in isaiah it's what um, heaven and earth are full of your glory, right? But here, what happens? Holy, holy, holy. This is the first time, by the way, that these, these four living creatures speak. I think this is the entire created order praising God. Holy, 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 Lord God, all creator. Okay, uh, the Lord God almighty, what we have in the ESV, and then who was and is and is to come. So whereas Isaiah was what? He's emphasizing that heaven and earth are full of glory. Here it's emphasizing, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, one is and is to come. He's coming near. And this language was and is and is to come is what we've already seen in the first chapter, that he is coming. We made this big point in our first podcast. Was and is and is to come happens a couple times in the first eight verses. And the point there is, his coming is in Christ's coming. Think back in chapter 1. Behold, he's coming on the clouds. That's Jesus. And yet right after that is, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and is to come, the Lord Almighty. And the deal there is that God is coming to his people in the coming of Christ. And that's the beautiful kind of connection here, as it were, um, with chapter 4. The one who is to come is coming near in the divine service. He's coming near when he baptizes. He's coming near uh, when he preaches. He's coming near when his servant, when his son of man, when his only begotten son presides in his divine service as the risen Christ serving his people. He's coming near when his pastors stand in the stead and by the command and forgive sins. Just a very rich kind of uh, combination between Isaiah and also this language of he's coming and uh, the language of coming throughout uh, the Revelation, the book of Revelation in reference to Jesus. So just a really a really rich combo there. Now here's uh, the conclusion. I think this is also uh, worth thinking about when it comes to worship both here in Revelation 4 and also what it is for us today. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. What I find fascinating about this, first and foremost, is whenever this created order praises God, whenever this created order, as it were, um, whenever you create, whenever you cue up a divine service, what happens? The heavenly company, the 24, they're following the created order. They're following our lead. 
um, you get this business of like, well, I just, I mean, are they watching over us? You know, the ones who have the faithful departed, have they, are they watching over us and are they in touch with what's going on and all these things? Well, I don't know how best to think about all that other than to say with certainty here, it's like, here's what you got to know. You queue up a divine service and they will follow suit. Um, the worship that we under undergo right now under undertake, okay, um, the 24, the whole company of the redeemed, they follow suit. They cast it. We'll get in on this. It's antiphonal, as it were, responsive. Uh, it's responsory between earth and heaven, earth and heaven. Divine service, hey, we're with you in this. Yeah, we are totally with you. Um, there's a kind of blending of heaven and earth here when worship happens. We're with you. What did you say? Holy, holy, holy. Yep, okay. Well, worthy are you, O Lord our God. To receive glory and honor and power, they. I love this back and forth that you get between between earth and heaven, and finally, I just kind of point this out, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. And that is, um, the praise that they cast here is all about creation. To receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. There's a heavy emphasis on creation here. I think that's because in chapter four. We're emphasizing the one who sits on the throne. This is God the Father, as you confess in the creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And as we get moving in chapter 5, next time it'll be what? All about the Lamb and how he also sits on the throne and and, uh, how God the Father Almighty carries out his will through his Son and what he does through this Lamb. And so there is a very Trinitarian uh, quality, reality to all of this as we go along, which is exactly, again, our worship. We begin in the triune name. We begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And this whole chapter 4 is kind of emphasizing this. We're gathered in that triune name, this worship. God the Father will then uh, kind of lead into worship of God the Son and we know that this is all by means of God the Holy Spirit, who is mentioned uh, already in chapter 4, bringing us into this divine Trinitarian worship. It's a fascinating book. It's so much um, right here, right now, and not so much just way up there and way down the road down there. And uh, again, I'll continue to harp on that as we as we move along. That's all the time we have for this particular podcast, but uh, stay tuned and spread the words so that others can learn about this with us. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org and clicking on our Contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. 